With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your hosts, Aaron and Matthew Miller. Tonight, we are going to do another extreme question. So, heading off the top of the list is a rather strange one, which no one really talks about, ever, period. Uh, This is a question that came in. David calls him Solomon. However, Nathan calls him Jedediah. There in Second Samuel chapter twelve, verses twenty-four through twenty-five. This is going to take you outside the Bible. It's going to take you places that. Here we go again, Aaron. The Bible's the truth, and when you find information outside of the Bible, it will align with the text itself, no matter what you do, because the truth does not change. So there's many flavorful ways that it's going to have to be described, especially highly technical or scientific aspects of certain things must be described in language that predates words for those specific things. We have this in the same exact case here. So, Aaron, what's your opening comments on this strange event that, well, because this ties in with the topic we had related before, the firstborn of creation. It kind of ties in with that, too. So, Aaron, your thoughts? Okay, so Solomon, um, this is the story. Second Samuel 12, 24-25, um, Nathan, the prophet, receives the command from God to call the child Solomon to name him Jedediah. But instead, David calls him Solomon. Why? Okay, so Solomon means peace. And that's a really big thing. Just because you're seeing his name as Solomon all the time in the Hebrew Bible, that doesn't necessarily mean... I mean, you, you, you he may have gone um, by one name for legal reasons and one name for personal reasons. So, um, uh, I refer to my dad as dad, not Mr. Miller. You know, it, it, it's, you have, uh, different instances on what to call what, or, you know, uh, someone who doesn't know my dad may call him 
Mr. Miller, but someone who's very close with him would call him Matthew. So um, I have evidence on an extra biblical level that may bear evidence to this. Now, in Egypt, there is a place called Amarna, and they have a lot of letters between the king Akhenaten, also called Amenhotep III. He um, he had a bunch of you know conversations with kings in the Middle East. One of these kings, in specific, is named Labaya. Um, uh, or Labayu, which is very, you know, Semitic in nature. And this, this king is mentioned as coming from the land of, you know, Israel, that area. And he has a um, conversation with Akhenaten. And he, something that really stands out to me, and he says, Moreover, how, if the king wrote for my wife, how could I hold her back? So, why would he put bring this thing up about his wife? Um, so, they date that Akhenaten, the, the Egyptian king, lived about the time of David. Now, Akhenaten, here's a little, uh, you know, explanation to his story. Akhenaten was a strange king of, you know, the of the 18th dynasty of Egypt, I believe, and he shows up and establishes monotheism. Just randomly. Just randomly. We don't even know where sure. he got the concept of this. Sure, why not? Of yeah. this, of this deity. Right, magic. Right. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah. And he forced it on really? the entire Egypt, he banned the worship of other gods and told everybody to worship this strange god named Aten. Aten, like all the other, unlike all the other gods, had no image. You didn't make an idol for him. He was only represented by a symbol, a symbol which was the sun with rays coming down. But this deity, just like the god of the Hebrews, we don't have idols for him. We don't make idols of God. We don't make idols of God. And so, this guy establishes monotheism out of nowhere. Where does he get this concept, and why does he take on this concept? So, the word aten seems a lot to me, and we've talked about this in former shows, that the Sumerians seem to refer to God um, as Utu. Or um, most specifically, as I've found, is as God the Son. So this, we know in the scriptures that Jesus was called the Son of Righteousness. Yes. So it seems that he took Utu, which was a Mesopotamian name for God, and he established it in Egypt for whatever reason. So I set out to figure out which which Egyptian king in the Bible could this have been? And we have 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David. So, he marries Pharaoh's daughter. Let's go back to that Amarna letter. Moreover, how, if the king were to wrote for my wife, how could I hold her back? Implying that this king's wife 
was in fact the Pharaoh's daughter. Let me punctuate that with the only appropriate epitaph. Duh. Okay, duh. Duh. So, this Labayu seems like a corruption of the name Jedediah, in my opinion. So, he was going as Jedediah or Labaya in his legal documents. So, <laughs> moreover, this event caused that Amenhotep III to convert and call him and calls himself a Kenaten in the worship of this one god. And you believe that this is the key to the whole thing? Yeah. So, let's talk about this. What does the name peace mean anyway? It's the same origin as the word shalom. It means uh, complete rest, literally. So, you realize that Repeatedly, God states in the scripture that David would be given peace and his head would go down to the grave in peace, right? So repeatedly, this is why Solomon would most illicitly be referred to as Solomon, because this means peace. When you say peace, when you call the heir to the king, you're talking about the heir to the messianic prophecy, period. Okay, period. There is no consternation. Christ the King is the son of David. Amen? Amen. You've got no way around that. So, regardless of what his name is, you want to fulfill that prophecy if you are a Jew. You want to fulfill that prophecy, so you're going to continue to call Jedediah. It doesn't matter what his name was. It doesn't matter if his name was was was. Pippi Longstocking, you understand? Or Periwinkle. That did not matter. Because this child answered the promise given to David, because of that, he would, of course, be called Solomon. So you would, literally, his proper name would have been Jedediah, but he would have been called Solomon. Do you understand? So I don't have any problem at all with his actual name being Jedediah, and what he was being called was Solomon. I don't, I don't have a problem with that at all. So, Akhenaten has several different daughters, um, about seven, who are mentioned by name throughout the texts. But we, if, if you just go to the Wikipedia page uh, for Atenism, we have an image of Akhenaten holding up his hands to, of course, Aten, represented as the sun, the sun, and behind him is his daughter. Her name was Miriaten. She, Miriaten, she also changed her name with the name uh, Aten in her name, to the name meaning she who is beloved of Aten. Okay. I am sorry. Will you please say that one more time? You said Miriaten, correct? And... She added to her name a ten. So are you saying that this infamous daughter of a ten was named Mary? Okay, you realize you're looking directly at the Wikipedia article, correct? You're looking at a ten. 
you are looking at Marietan, which is plainly depicted underneath this picture you just described. You click on that link to Marietan, and you will see that she is wearing, well, what's she wearing? That don't look like much of a pharaoh garb to me. That being way beside the point. She added a 10, this deity's name, to her name. Meaning that originally, there's no way around it, her original name was actually Marie. So, I find that really off the hook, don't you? Yeah. And this would prophetically create mass effect upon the psyche of the Jew. Waiting for biblical prophecy to unfold. And you can imagine Herod's surprise when the Magi didn't show up. He investigated. Eventually, he, of course, he'd run smack dab into Jesus. And for, hey, what's this dude Jesus from Nazareth? What's his mom's name? Oh, Mary. You can imagine the mass effect that would have on the psyche. So, this being the case, uh, first off, this extra biblical proof is absolutely mind-boggling. Why aren't you hearing this on Sunday morning? Well, for one, the only place you could hear it would be on Sunday morning because everybody no longer has Wednesday night prayer service, right? So, that being the case, that's probably why you're not hearing about this on Sunday morning. And And, and by the way, I forgot Sunday night because there used to be Sunday night service too. All that's been eliminated. Now we're just to Sunday morning and well, it just is what it is. I mean, we, we don't even have Sunday school, right? But it just makes you wonder why isn't this the conversion of this king in the Bible? Or is it? If this is so, what if Necho is one of his descendants? One of the kings of his line and this would be why he was saying that God was talking to him. Why wouldn't that be the case? I'm, I'm just saying. I mean, why wouldn't that be the case? I mean, you make this strange case for these Ethiopians, correct? Right. I mean, describe to me these churches. I mean, you've looked at them. Yeah. Can you describe them to me? What force of nature involved at that location, at that time, could have produced those churches. Uh, yeah, just look up those Ethiopian churches. They're hewn. I mean, you don't you don't walk up to the door and go in. You have to go down right. to get to the church. Because they're, they're hewn. They're hewn out of rock. Okay, the church, they, they dug downward into the rock, into the shape of a cross. The church is in the shape of a cross. And they have these intense imagery and, you know, architecture. Off the hook. It was carved into that. It, it's all one rock. Yeah. Now, they will tell you with their mouth. Duh. I mean, oh my goodness. Aaron. Aaron, you've seen them. You've looked at them. Duh. I mean, how could we make them today, Aaron? Tell me. Really? It's just pathetic for you to believe anywhere. So when people ask me, well, what about these churches? And, and I was laughing to myself, well, well, have you even read Acts chapter 8? Do you have any idea what it says? Let me riddle it to you. So here's Philip be bopping around, right? 
an angel shows up and says, hey man, you need to go south into the desert, to the way to Gaza. So, you know, I, you know, he's like, all right, man, let's, you know, here we go. An Ethiopian monk drives by in his chariot, right? Drives by in his chariot. He literally hears the reading Isaiah 53. Do you know what Isaiah 53 is about? Well, just let's just put that on hold. Who's an Ethiopian so Philip, eunuch. Yeah. Right. So Philip gets into the chariot. And, you know, just, well, how can I possibly know? Tell me. He goes, riddle me, Philip. Who's the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Using that exact same scripture, the whole thing explodes, right? Well, they're going through, you know, the desert. It plainly says the desert. And they come upon this water. Well, why can't I be baptized? Well, Philip's like, let's get it on. What, what the heck? So they get out. It says when Philip comes up from from baptizing him, he's relocated. Okay, I got a stupid question for you. What do you think about the Ethiopians and the scriptorial text? When I say Ethiopia, what does that mean to you? Descendants of uh, Cush, the father of Nimrod. And how many times have we overtly and inadvertently been talking about the the queen of Sheba. Okay? Some people think that Sheba's in that area. Okay, well, let's just let's just throttle this further. Let's talk about that angel. That angel specifically was answering some heed, some call to those Ethiopians. Yeah. And let me say this, if you were wondering what I was thinking, Duh. Okay, duh. That's what makes you wonder. Oh, what? Some people believe that the Book of Enoch had been one of the reasons why it, it kept it was kept in Africa for the longest time was because it was hidden from them, but it stayed with the Ethiopians. What if the only reason why the Ethiopians still have the longest manuscript, the only complete manuscript of Enoch, is because? Cush took it there. <laughs> if Cush got this from Noah, Cush, the father of Nimrod, got this from Noah, and when he went to Ethiopia, he took the Book of Enoch with him. I don't know. Off the purely theoretical, but well, we do know the Beta Jews do live there. Say that again. The Beta Jews live there. Mm-hmm. They will plainly tell you what. With their mouths, they'll laugh at you and say, yeah, man, we don't have anything hard enough to hew. I mean, you understand these these churches are more than one story high. You understand that, right? They'll tell you, yeah, we don't have anything hard enough to, to punch through that rock. Okay, so they will plainly tell you with their own mouths. Yeah, angels come down and made these yeah. overnight. The, the, the thing where we, were, we heard this a lot of this from was how – they're, those people, whenever someone asks them what their evidence for God is, and they point to those churches. To churches. They point to churches. Yeah, those were done overnight, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they say. But anyway, yeah. The evidence for the scripture is out there, okay? And the more they dig up, or archaeologists dig up, the, the more, more they prove it. The more they prove the it. The more they prove it. <laughs> so... Uh, Absolutely amazing. So, 
Next question. What do you want to do? Okay, so we um we're talking about textual criticism of the scripture. So we have okay, what was what was um inspired by God, the original document or the manuscripts? Okay. Boy, how many times do I have to cover this? Okay. So, who do you say wrote the Torah? The Spirit through <laughs> Moses. Wise answer. So, okay, so who 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 describes Moses' death? Moses? Or you're saying that he died dead as a hammer. They buried him. I've got an even better one. Satan shows up and argues with Michael about where to bury him after all this, after Michael and Satan are done arguing about where to bury the body. Then the spirit reanimates Moses and describes his death, even describes the point that says that they're arguing. And then he, so actually, so Moses still wrote it, right? No. Okay, so listen. <laughs> listen. The Holy Spirit used multiple individuals, most of which was Moses, to write the Torah. So, but we also need to come to grips with that, right? Like, right. The original document was inspired by the scripture. Whenever there are errors in a manuscript, like where a misspelling or something, that wasn't inspired by God. That was a that was a scribe writing it down, right, from the original manuscripts. Right. So, there are errors. There are also additions, though. And when you you got to understand, what do these additions mean? Well, whenever we put additions to the scriptures, what do we do? We use italics. Right. If there's words that we need to support what's being said, to make it make sense to the reader, we'll add words. Okay, so this is the question. Why do some translations admit that Jesus ate a honeycomb in Luke 24, 42? Okay, so... The reason for this is, is that there are many manuscripts who have that word and some which do not. So, there are some manuscripts that have this thing about the honeycomb. Why would it be put there? What, were, was somebody omitting it when they wrote down the manuscript? Or was somebody adding it? And if they added it, why? My first thing is, what is the New Testament? That's the first thing I have. What have you heard me state your entire life? Matter of fact, we'll go double your life. So, your life plus another age of yours, what was I saying then? Which, what is the New Testament? I'll tell you true. Where do you get the numbers from? Stephanus. You get the numbers from Stephanus, the 1550. You get it from the Regia. That's where you get it. That's where the rubber hits the road. So, Let's let's do this. Does the Adido Regia have that? The part about the honeycomb, and it specifically uses um, specifically uses two Greek words for it. It uses it says honey outright, and then it says comb. Plainly, uh, you call that G thirty one ninety three for honey, and turns right around and magnifies it. Um, G twenty seven eighty one. So, so why would this have been added at all? So my my thought is 
Isaiah 7. Which says what exactly? So I'll start reading on verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat butter and honey when he knows to refuse the evil and choose the good. Okay, and you're saying that this is actually an answer to that prophecy. Is that yeah. what you're saying? That, that's this is what him eating this. So, the word for curd, it says butter and honey. It actually means chema. You go to the root word, it means walls. Walls, which the honeycomb. Yeah. Honeycomb, honeycomb is made of walls, you know. Right. So, the, so it's saying he's eating the comb and the honey. Yes. So, it's a fulfillment of prophecy in the New Testament. So, yeah. so when, so where would, so the Holy Spirit, of course, would have added it. Also, a, um, there may, there may have been notes that were put in there showing this. Where would the scribe get the notes? From local, how did any of the, the, we know that Luke got the, um, a lot of the events from the, for the gospel through, you know, eyewitnesses. Right. So if there was a scribe who knew an eyewitness who said that he had a honeycomb and put that into the document, that would have made sense. Right. Yep. It would have made perfect sense that we also have evidence. literally literally what the Holy Spirit was doing was pre providing the first cross references. Yeah. And um we also also have clear evidence that excerpts from the Gospel of the Hebrews was being put in there as well. Um in some manuscripts of uh Luke it's it says when the in Luke chapter 3 when it says that the um no chapter 4 Whenever God says, my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, the gospel of the Hebrews says, today I have begotten you. Mm -hmm. And one manuscript of, of Luke says it too. So clearly that part from the book, the gospel of the Hebrews was being put into that. It was almost as if the, gospel, the fifth gospel was being assimilated into the four. No, no, no. That's not proper etymology. Was being absorbed. Yeah. So this is my explanation for additions. Um. So, is there anything you wanted to add on that one? Not really. Just that in in its 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 context, this this bears into the Emmanuel prophecy about the children and. You have to realize that, number one, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and birth son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. No one understand this. He shall eat butter and honey when he knows to refuse evil and choose the good. You realize this was after he was born again, becoming prototokos necros, the firstborn from the dead. So... That tying into that is, is absolutely amazing. So you realize, Aaron, that this is where uh, the rubber kind of hits the road with your with your translations. You do realize that, right? 
Here uh, in the web translation, it certainly says fish and honeycomb, correct? So the KJV uh, says the honeycomb, New American Standard Bible. Uh, does what, Aaron? What is that? Because it's incorrect. Uh-oh. Now, traditionally, this ministry uses what translation? I said translation, not ministry. Oh. We originally used the NASB. We used the NSAB basically your life, right? Yeah. Now, have you ever heard me say it was correct? Did you no. ever? No, you've never heard me say that. I've repeatedly said that it is the best, most trustable translation, right? Mm. In this context, what does this tell you? Is there any English translation that actually works? Not that I've... No. I mean, the, the W.E.B. Bible is the closest that I've found, the most loyal to the actual text that I have found, but um, it still has issues. But it, it, you know, it uses some things that I don't like. Like the other day, we were reading it, and it used uh, this term Darnell for tares. Tares is a traditional term. Yeah, and I don't believe in using traditional or anything like that. So they're weeds, you know? And that's honestly what I think we should use. Which is where we obviously separate. Yeah, I don't I don't believe in using traditional translations. I believe in understandable translations. So, um, um when was the last time you actually used the word tear in context? In church? Every single time. Out, outside church. You don't. Of course you don't. Right, so and I understand I, your point, yeah. but I am not made, I am not designed for those that will not inherit salvation. That's not what I'm for. Yeah. So. Well, I don't, I, like, honestly, I don't believe in putting church language into translations. I believe in using actual language. Because you're never, the other side. The Bible never never had the word terror. It, it, it was Greek. <laughs> So, amen, amen, <laughs> amen, I'm with you. You're the other side of the coin. You want the translation to be able to save people, correct? And if somebody's bebopping along and picks up this Bible off a park bench and it says tear, they're like, what are you people retarded? Yeah. So, yeah, well, in, I'm working on a translation of my own and it's aimed towards my generation. So, um, let's... let's so, um, when we go to the New American Standard Bible, it's all over chapter 13, correct? It's mm -hmm. all over the parable. We talked about this the other day. This chapter is literally impregnated with prophecy. It's absolutely off the hook what we, we discussed this most of two days, right? Mm -hmm. Going back and forth just in Matthew chapter 13. But anyway, here, uh, what does the Bible actually say? The Bible being the Edito Regia. What does this say when it has this strange word for tear, which nobody would know what it could possibly mean? The actual Greek word is rather funky, uh, 2215. And yeah, they actually are saying here in the, in the Strong's that it may have actually come from Sumerian origin, that word. Right. But anyway, to be sure, uh, the web says what? Darnel weeds. A darnel weed looks like wheat. Looks like wheat. So, 
I disagree with the two words. I don't know. There's only one word. So I. So what would you choose? Darnell? It doesn't say Darnell. What does it say? I'd say weed. Yeah, but most specifically, a false grain. It's kind of like fool's gold type concept. Fool's grain? Yeah. She'd have the fool's grain. Uh, What's well, fool's grain? Yeah, well... Well, I guess that begs the same thing that you just said. Fool's gold, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but anyway, so our next question. Have I, I actually got this from my friend Philip on... Uh, who messages me on Instagram. He says, Have you ever considered Eden could possibly be in a location not considered Mesopotamia? He suggests to me, if Eden is in the Sahara. So the first thing I brought up was, during the time that Eden, Eden was on Earth, it was a very different world than it is now. Yes. Because we have we had a massive flood between now and then, right? I, I don't think you all you you all may not understand how catastrophic the flood really was. From our studies, it wasn't just a bunch of water falling out of the sky. No, no, it was far worse than that. It says it went fifteen cubits above the mountaintops. Right. Yes. It says most of the water came from beneath the crust. We have come um, to the realization that at least one asteroid hit the Earth. At least one. Right. And shattered the crust. Right. Dug perhaps close or into the core. Punched the core. And this not only caused massive volcanic activity and earthquakes, it sent the water... Which God had put under the earth um, in Genesis chapter 1. He put it under the earth and it comes to the surface and floods the earth. Catastrophically. It specifically says that the fountains of the deep, i.e. the aquifers, explosively come to the surface. Your tidal waves were probably far up into the atmosphere. (laughs) These... And these... Do you realize how much sediment that would move yeah. from the surface? We're talking about something that could change a valley into a plain. Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, do you all understand how heavy water is? Oh, you truly can't understand having to be a physical labor until you're asked to bear water weight. Um, yeah, get just fill your get get one of those big plastic buckets, fill it up with water, and start carrying it. Yeah, it, it, you will figure it out quickly. Yeah, and you all wonder why it was so hard to get to the bottom of the ocean until recently. It would kill you if you yeah. were outside of a sub a specialized submarine. You'd it be crushed. You'd be smashed. Well, yeah, because of the weight of all the miles of water on top. Of Seven you. miles of water on top of you. You'd be pulverized. So we have massive waves of water moving sediment, of course, fossilizing millions of animals underneath the right. sediment, and so. 
what I'm getting at is the land of Eden, obviously, if it's at any place in this world right now, it looks nothing the way it was. Right. In Genesis um, chapter 2, we are given a vague description of what it may have been like. Okay, so we start with verse 6. It says, And a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Septuagint instead says a a spring That's or right. a, a fountain. Spring. It says a fountain. Yes. So this is something coming up from underground yes. feeding this water. So you move on a little more to the chapter. And verse 10, it says, A river went out of Eden to water the garden, and there, from there it was parted. The first is Pishon, which flows through the whole land of Havila, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. There is aromic resin and onyx stone. The name of the second river is Gihon. The same river flows through the land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hittikal, which is the same that flows through the land of Assyria. If you look into the into the original texts in, in the Mesopotamian area, that was the word they used for the Tigris River. And then it says the fourth river is Euphrates. So we know where the Tigris and Euphrates rivers are. Those are in the Middle East. But the Gihon and the Pishon, people argue about it. I mean, the issue is here. Where do Euphrates and do the Euphrates and the Tigris River become one river? They don't. And if you were to find that place, you would have, you would if you came to that place, you would obviously find where the other two were. Duh. So your issue is there. Okay. So what causes a river? Okay. A river is caused by gravity, the force of gravity. Um, you may not see this on, on, from where you're standing, but there's an elevation, okay? And it's basically running down this elevation to a lower spot, like gravity tells it to. Yes, all rivers run into the sea. Yeah, eventually they go into the ocean somehow and come back. So, these places, the places where those rivers have gone, of course, dig, you know, riverbeds. Riverbeds and eventually, you know, could form valleys or something like that. So you have um, all of that is due to the formation, the geography of the ground. Right. And if you have mountains literally being changed, the highs becoming lows with this massive amount of water, it's going to look nothing like it no. did. Right. So we want to figure out what it was like. So, Genesis chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. So, it basically just described to you that there was one place where the waters were. That's right. And that implies that there was one dry land. Yes, it does. And where would be the best place under the crust of the earth to put the water? Well, this would create a blister. Due to centrifugal force. So the best absolute place to put this massive well of water would be absolutely under the continent. In the book of Job, it says that that God closed up the sea with its doors, and by that very method, 
he caused the boundaries of where the water and the land come. Right. Yeah. This is why we created the shoreline. You understand that the book of Genesis describes that the entire earth was covered in a layer of water. The only way for dry land to appear and water to appear in one place is to take some of that water, right? That's right. Take some of the water. So it so there must he must have like like my dad mentioned, they must have made a he must have had put a well underneath the crust somewhere. An aquifer, yes. Yeah, and this is where where he was keeping the water, and he closed it up. During in Genesis chapter seven, he breaks up those doors, and the water comes surging out. And you can plainly see this in the badlands here in the wilderness, can't you? Yeah. Literally, when you drive through them, you see these. Hills, but you realize that the tops of the hills create a plain. And what happened was, was that this used to be a flat plain. It had an underwater lake in it. That water escaped. Literally, the top of this of this massive cavern collapsed, and the pillars that was holding up that cavern you now see in the Badlands. This is exactly what you can probably just look at it and see it. You can plainly look at it and see exactly what happened. And it's funny when you talk to people that that come here that have no relationship to Christianity. They'll look, they'll go down to the Badlands. They're like, man, you can plainly see that this used to be flooded in water. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they plainly talk about it because you can see the layers of the rock sediment all nine yards. So, so you can see that um, in the scripture, it's implying the scientific theory of the Pangea. Of Pangea, that's right. Which was the concept that all the continents used to be one continent. You can just pull out a map of the all the continents of the Earth and fit them together like a puzzle. Right. Because those underneath the ground, they, they, they call them tectonic plates, are what the continents are on. Whatever set up, separated them? Well, our catastrophic event here. So... My friend here, um, who asked the question, he suggested that the Garden of Eden was in the Sahara Desert. So, we put this together. We fit Africa together with North America and all that. And I was stunned. Because if you were to put that right next to the, to the place where it would fit into to America... It goes straight to the Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico was right there. You're talking about... You're talking about Grand Zero. You're talking about the Chichilub impact crater. Yeah, the Chichilub impactor. The asteroid which they say killed the, the dinosaurs. This massive asteroid, we are saying, shattered the tectonic plates. Yes. When it shattered, When it shattered these plates... It caused the water to surge right out of them, and the volcanic activity, the earthquakes, and the water, massive amount of water surging through it, would have separated these continents. So, having understood that, this, this one continent, if the water, the, these four rivers were to water the whole world, mm -hmm. the whole surface of the ground, the way it's right. If it were to do that, it would have to do with elevation. That's that right. the, the Great Pangea would have had a center which had a high point. That's correct. And they all went down. The rivers went down from that. Right. 
and dividing into four passages of scripture. More, more appropriately, the way I've always described it in the classroom is this. Imagine a volcano. How do you imagine a volcano, Aaron? When a volcano erupts, what flows down the side of it? Lava. Well, you need to take this to represent, you know, well, all the great structures that we've talked about in the past. Um, most recently, we talked about the inscription uh, there of Nebuchadnezzar. It's amazing that they made the ziggurats with a flat top, and what would they put at the, at the top? The shrine, correct? Mm -hmm. But they always have that staircase that goes down. No one understand this. The river of life was a river that flowed out of the top of a mountain. That river hit the base of the mountain on the plain. So on the plain, it broke into four different rivers and watered the entire of this single continent. So we are referencing Revelation chapter 22. He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God in the Lamb, right. Right. in the middle of its street. On the side of the river, there was the tree of life, bearing right. four kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit every month. Right. So, like I said, this fountain that was watering the, full, the whole earth was what created this great river, which is called the river of life. Whatever made the river of life was what making the tree of life produce the fruit it was producing. On a monthly basis. Indicating geothermal activity. So we have this whatever, whatever sediment it was bringing up. And you have the simple fact that this must have been the cooling mechanism for the core. Yeah, so so why does lava pour out of volcanoes? Why do volcanoes erupt anyway? They are now. Now that's the pressure valve. Yeah, we have... These are... This is... Okay. If any of you have not heard of the Ring of Fire, it's basically a place where the tectonic plates meet. Right. These Where the tectonic plates, they will press up against each other and... I mean... Uh, forgive me for being a little gross, but it's basically like a a pimple. Right. The the um, lava underneath is forced to the top when they press against each other, right. and they pop out somewhere, which is becomes a volcano. This all lava is is liquid magma. Right. Liquid rock rock which has been heated up to an intense amount of pressure because of the intense amount of pressure. So the reason you see lava coming out of volcanoes is because it's that rock being pushed up right. via the pressure. Correct. Now we say we don't, now we know this these tectonic plates wouldn't have this huge problem because they probably weren't even broken up at this point. But there was water underneath at that time. Right. And this single volcano was the cooling mechanism of the planet. Because of this, there was no volcanism on Pangaea. There was no volcanism. That's why the pyramids at uh, Teotihuacan, and I showed you the pictures from Hugh Harleston. Uh, he went down in that valley and did literally thousands and thousands of, of uh, measurements down there at uh, Teotihuacan. You can plainly see where he determined where Saturn was at in that layout, Jupiter, 
the whole nine yards. And it plainly depicts that this is why the ziggurats always have this single staircase. That single staircase actually represents the flowing water. Now, you have in biblical prophecy, absolutely God says that during the millennial reign of Christ, it's split in two and water flows out, correct? Mm -hmm. You absolutely have this imagery once again during the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, we have references in the book of Enoch saying that the throne of God is on the top of the mountain. That's right. So with this going, in mind going back to this going back to Revelation chapter twenty two, where does it say the river flows from? His throne. Right. So this mountain Without attestation, we know in the scripture that this mountain is Mount Zion. Right. This um, some people think that it's in is is in Israel. I no. To no. the hugest part, it, there was a heavenly place and an earthly place, and it was somewhere. Right, but I mean, you cannot. Um, you you have to realize that the Bible repeatedly says we can. Do this several ways, but it beyond any shadow of a doubt, it says that Mount Zion is absolutely in heaven. Uh, the one in Hebrews is the one I usually go to. But you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable multitudes of angels. Do you have a problem with that? So he tells you that when this was fractured in two, Zion is his throne. That's in heaven. His footstool is here on earth. Yeah, we mentioned this 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 concept in in our uh, former shows that right. heaven and earth used to be one dimension. It used to be one dimension. Yes. And and God, having sit on His throne, and and His footstool, having His foot on His footstool, all occurred in the same place at the same time. Right. So um, you have to realize that. So there's an. Okay, so there's an earthly paradise, an earth, earthly Eden. Right. There's an earthly Mount Zion. There's a heavenly Eden, a heavenly Garden of Eden, and a heavenly Zion. And right. these were moved. Right, they, they were. Dimensions. The dimensions were fractured. Yeah, and, so and now there's two. And there's, oh, there's, before Christ, there was only one way up, and that was Jacob's ladder. Right, there's Christ. When Christ came, he became the ladder by which we enter into heaven. So, And we described that this is why there's two sets of seven. There's the heavenly seven, the satanic seven. Right. Yeah. And it's these watchers are the only ones that can cross this, this ladder, this bridge. But you have the full mill deal in Revelation chapter 21. Beyond any shadow of doubt, after what happens after the thousand-year reign of Christ, Aaron, read from Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea is no more. So, all of you should notice this fact. That everybody says, in the end of the world, we're going to heaven, right? Mm. Most people say that. Yeah. But the, the scripture is clear that it says there's going to be a new heaven. God's right. going to recreate the heaven, just right. like he's going to recreate the earth. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what he says. But anyway, uh, verse 2. I saw the holy city, now the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. So, uh, beyond any shadow of a doubt, uh, verse 3, I heard a loud voice out of heaven saying, Behold, God's dwelling is with people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. 
Do you have any problems with what he just said? So, we're going back to the beginning. Yeah. Is what we're doing. So, we understand this much. The Pangea had one highest point of elevation, Mount Zion, and it was kind of like a volcano, except water came out of it. Right. And this huge river flowed in four directions across the entire huge continent right. into the ocean, yes. where it was circulated. And so, but we were saying that this this water, which was underneath the crust, was acting as a cooling mechanism yes. to the plates, to the to the pressure that was going on underneath the ground because of the gravity. Right. So, um, and as I mentioned, we have proof that when the Chicxulub impact impactor hit the ground and cracked through, it, it literally separate the continents. Yeah, it we can punch the crust. We can see right where it hit in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. It separated Africa from there, and that place yeah. in Africa, of course, is where the Sahara is, the largest desert on the whole planet. This desert, we have evidence that it had a massive river flowing through it, which is now known as the uh, Tamanrasset River. You can see, it, it's it's dried up. But you can see it through, you can um, see it from space, from space, and through ver various other um, ways to uh, show the evidence of it. And it was a massive river, and we also have evidence that Lake Chad used to be a m far more massive inland sea, yeah, which was. they called Mega Chad. People now call Mega Chad. You could see it from it, space. It's huge. It's mind-boggling. But that's not really the most important structure on that side of the Atlantic, opposite of the Chicxulub Empire crater. Why don't you describe that? Because literally from space, you can look at it. Yeah. This is, and it looks back at you. Yeah, this is called the Richat structure, uh, informally known as the Eye of Africa or the Eye of Sahara. This structure was only <laughs> found, you could only really see it from space. This is how they found it. Um, and this, it has perfect rings around it. They they studied it. It looks like it could have been a impact crater, except we don't have any evidence that it was an impact. It could be a, vol a volcanic, you know, mountain. But we have no evidence of that either. So it was neither a volcano and not an impactor. And it couldn't... We have no evidence of what it could be. They they suggest maybe erosion. But that's impossible. What, that's a pretty massive tornado to have caused those that, perfect rings around it. The only thing that would have possibly created that over the land would have been a massive hypercane over the land. Which you know that a, that, that a hurricane can't can't survive over land because it feeds its energy off of the warm temperature of the water, correct? Mm -hmm. It creates a low pressure. Aaron, when you get a globe and you look at these things, you realize that what this looks like is Mount Zion collapsed. Yeah. That's what it looks like. And you can only see this when you get a globe and put the pieces together of a Pangea. Look at the Chichilub impact crater and realize that this impact popped 
our bubble. Now, I went and got your mother's pressure cooker and brought it out and showed it to you, right? Mm -hmm. There's a couple of pieces that are pretty important. First off is the valve, right? The valve that issues force the steam. Once that steam exits, okay, it's then that you set your timer because there's three different settings. You can have the 5-pound, the 10-pound, or the 15-pound, all depending on, on what pressure you want to can whatever's in the, the pressure cooker. The other device is quite plain. It looks like a little red button, correct? That is the emergency pop-off valve that will alert you pressure's been exceeded. The valve is blocked. You need to get it off of heat, correct? Yeah, because if, if the valve is blocked, you're looking for a massive explosion. And you understand that when you use this pressure cooker, once the steam starts emitting, let's go back to Genesis. It said what would water? The spring. I plainly described to you that this was the pressure relief valve for the core. This water was flowing down the side of Mount Zion, and of course there was also steam erupting into the upper atmosphere, correct? What God did was, with Mount Zion, was plug it up. He let it build up pressure, and that red pop-off valve and that pressure cooker, that was the Chichilubin crater. And that's why you have the surface covered with water. God punched the crust, all that water issued out, and the earth literally deflated. Yeah. When it's deflated, you had, you, your, your oceans were formed. Because, exactly. Because the oceans, you know, are very deep. The, and those, they're very heavy. And yeah. their weight presses up the continents much like a blister. Yeah, and then you have the the mountains formed. A lot yes. of mountains were formed via, you know, these these um, tectonic plates pressing up against each other or wrinkling. No, yeah, kind of and now, what is our pressure relief mechanism? Uh, volcanoes. Volcanoes. It's no longer Mount Zion. So, you have all these things in effect. And then, to make the case that we are seriously um, getting close to massive things happening, Aaron, is, well... Just to do a search for sinkholes, it's absolutely off the hook what has been happening since, oh, about 2010, correct? Mm -hmm. These spherical voids are just absolutely everywhere. Um, here, as of late, we've even had these, these spherical voids appearing even in the water. And they have no idea why. Uh, they're very strange looking. Uh, but these things are literally popping up everywhere. It, it, it's literally become catastrophic. I can't describe this enough to you. The events of these sinkholes since 2010. So you realize, Aaron, that the only thing that would create sinkholes is that the earth is expanding much like a pregnant woman gets stretch marks. Over a sphere, Aaron, that sphere gets bigger, it will create spherical 
shaped voids. It will create sinkholes. And uh, some of the pictures you can get of uh, some of the, the sinkholes is just absolutely off the hook. Oh my goodness, they will just rattle your cage when you see houses in them, when you see cars in them. And one of the things that will blow you away is the one the one in Guatemala, Aaron, it's an abyss. Describe this structure to me. Is that not a, a perfect sphere? It creates a perfect shaft, does it not? Yeah, Where did that void come from, Aaron? Where did the soil go? Where did the soil go, Aaron? Because it's not magic. It didn't disappear. When you take a sphere and blow it up, naturally the crust of whatever sphere you're blowing up will create what type of stretch voids? Circles, because you're doing it to a sphere. So this is how God's going to return us to the place that it once was. Yes. I don't know if he's going to make us one continent again. I don't think you really have evidence of that. Well, what's going to happen if when if the oceans are literally uh, put back into an aquifer system underneath the Earth's crust? I mean, what does that look like? That's why it's saying the sea is no more. Well, it just described that, right? It literally uh, just just said that, and literally off the hook. We read it right there. It plainly said that the water was going to be heaped up. And it says the sea is no more. So the only way for the sea to disappear is for it to go back into the fountains of the deep. Correct? I mean, that's, that's literally the only way that it can it can happen. When you go to Psalm 33, what's it say, Aaron? 33 verse 7. He gathers the heat, the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Do you have a problem with that? I understand y'all being like, this is just poetic language, but... Okay, just, if you say this is poetic language, what is he talking about? I mean, poetry about, what is it symbolizing about? Take this... And try to understand, what is it trying to tell you? Well, he literally just told you, in Psalm 33, verse 7, he just told you he was going to put the water back in the storehouses of the deep. You just refused to listen to him. But that is what he said. Yeah. So, you know what I would tell you. Now, you do understand, I took geology in an institution of higher learning, correct, Aaron? You understand that, correct? Do you know what I would tell you to look for, for signs that this very thing was going to happen? I would tell you to look for spherical voids. They call them in the news sinkholes. The, the crust of the earth would just start producing these massive holes that nobody could explain. And when you do a search for it and click on images, you can see hundreds of images in the news now, right? They're literally all over. I mean, we've literally, it's gotten so bad. Don't we have instances in the news of these massive cracks coming up? Yeah. Just fissures in the crust. So, that being the case, um, I suggest the next time you read uh, Psalm 33, Aaron, you just believe it. And, and then you'll get 
then you'll get where you need to go when you just believe it and just accept it. That when you go back to Revelation, he states very plainly, there, there is a sea no more. So you don't have a problem with that. So you're, you realize that he's telling you he's going back to a river-based system. Right. Okay. Let's, let's, let's do this, Aaron. Let's go back to the Bible um, itself. I mean, I don't have a problem with really, really taking a look at this and describing the, uh, well, what the Bible actually says. We'll go to the Edito uh, uh, Regia, and we'll just look at it. Um, the word there is pretty plain, and it means see. It's in the genitive case, right? It's not talking about anything else. It's G2281, correct? Yeah. The C. The next time you read this chapter, Revelation chapter 21, Aaron, you just need to believe it because that's what's going to happen. And you can take that to the bank. And he describes how he's going to do that in Psalms 33. Okay, now, when we go back to Genesis, let's just do this. We go back to Genesis and we look at the word for earth there, um, the word that's used as seven, uh, um, the dry uh, land. Yes, the, the dry land. You'll take note that it has a prefix hay on it. You cannot get around this, um, no matter who you are, no matter what you are, because it's spelled this way, you need to understand this. It doesn't say lands, Aaron. That's not what it says. It is in the singular absolute case. Do you have a problem with that? So when God says this, he, I mean, you, we could literally uh, make our own translations and we could use in its place here for land. We could just say Pangea. You realize that, right? Because it's in the singular case. So where was Eden then? Eden, that's a complicated question. It was in the Sahara and it was in Mexico. Yeah, but the Chichilumi impact crater blasted it apart. Yeah. Yeah. So, imagine this. This is what you have. You have a balloon, Aaron. Okay? You have a balloon. In that balloon is water, so we're talking about a water balloon, you understand? What God did was put a pinhole the size of the Chichilumi impact crater in that water balloon. The water escaped out onto the surface... Okay, so literally we lost mass. This massive release of pressure just reorganized everything. Literally speaking, the Hebrew plainly states there was one dry land, not lands. It's not plural. Yeah, and this is, you're all wondering, why does the Bible continue to say the, the ends of the earth? This is talking about the coasts. If you had one solitary continent, the end of the earth would be the shoreline. Would be the shoreline. There, there would there would only be one coast all over right. All there around. would be one right, there'd be one coast. Yes. So with all this in mind, when when you take the globe, blow it up, uh and realize you put these two things together, because really that's what you're going to do. When you put this, you know, this this eye of Egypt 
take out the Atlantic Ocean, put it right next to the Chicxulub impact crater, you realize what happened. And you realize that in order for Psalm 33, verse 7 to come true, the earth's going to have to expand. Do you understand that, right? It's going to have to massively get bigger. This is why the Lord your God told Ezekiel to use the royal measure. You realize what the royal cubit was, right? Well, the cubit was six handbreadths. The royal cubit was you just added a seventh handbreadth to it, okay? This is why, of course, Ezekiel plainly describes that the Temple Mount is a square mile. Mm, that's impossible, right? The earth is going to expand. Do you realize that prophetically when we get our hind feet, when we walk in our high places, God illicitly states that he will stretch out our footsteps. He's literally telling you the planet's going to get bigger. The only way that can happen is if the water goes back whence it came. So this is our hypothesis that the Richat structure is Mount Zion. Right, and it collapsed. And it collapsed. It, it once was the highest in elevation of the whole um, Pangaea. Mm -hmm. It was Mount... It had a underwater fountain fueling a river to come out of it. Right, right. And that spread into four heads that spread across the entire continent. Right, at the base of that mountain. When it hit the plain... It had a drainage basin that went four different directions, north, out, south, east, and west. Duh. Okay? Yeah, and that's just because of the force of gravity. Right, right. Um, uh, so, uh, that's what we have to say about um, probably most of Eden is in, in the Sahara. We have evidence that it was once a, a, basically a paradise. We, ah. have, we have evidence that... that um, we have cave paintings in there of people um, hunting on those lands, grass everywhere. Right. Um, moreover, we have evidence that the Great Sphinx may have may be older, may predate the flood. Mm -hmm. um, we have clear marks of yeah, it, of it, water. Yeah. Uh, I mean, duh. Go look at it. It's plain to the naked eye. That's water erosion. Um. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. And I, you all, you all know the picture of the Sphinx from your history books, but uh, you all may not have known that um, that's pretty recent. For thousands of years, it was under sand, and all you could see was its head. Yep. They didn't know that it had a whole Sphinx body. Right. Right. So when the Egyptians, when they they based their culture on what that Sphinx looked like. Right. Well. You'll take note, where is this structure, this eye of the Sahara? It's, uh, from, it's pretty close to the shoreline to the edge of the continent where you, it would meet. You mean the Atlantic Ocean? Yeah, where it would have met. So literally speaking, if you put this in the east of Eden, Eden will be at the bottom of the Atlantic. Amen? Amen. So literally... Geologically speaking, um, you ain't going to go there. It's been buried under the ocean. So, Aaron, um, it's always good to, to do uh, extreme questions. Amen? 
uh, covered some serious ground. Are we even close to getting through our list of questions? Uh, we're pretty much up. We're, we're going to need some more ones. All right. Well, you need to repost uh, your post about questions for um, Christian conspiracy theory. Wow. I covered some good ground. Um, if you want more information, I guess you're just going to have to buy a globe, ladies and gentlemen. Look at it. Uh, quite plainly, Africa fits right into uh, the Americas, and uh, you also need to, uh, well, uh, at least look at some videos at a pressure cooker, understand uh, their parts, and, uh, well, exactly what God did. And uh, one thing you can certainly take to the bank, Aaron, you're going back to the days of Noah. Amen? Amen. And the Bible plainly states that we're going to a 360-day year. Amen? Mm -hmm. And he plainly tells you that it takes exactly 42 months for you to get 1,260 days. Amen? You don't have to like it. You just need to believe it. And then you will be given wisdom. Then you will shine like the sun. You have to Once you believe it, then you'll shine. Then all, all things will start making sense. But we'll have to talk more privately about our uh, about your translation. Um, you seem to think that you should kick tradition to me. No, a tear is a tear. You understand? <laughs> yeah. uh, a tear is a tear. I don't care what you say. But anyway, um, well, do you realize what is required for there to be a coin in existence? Two things are required. Both sides. Amen? Mm -hmm. So, we'll probably hammer that out the hard yeah. way. Yeah, there's two sides of the coin. The right and the wrong. <laughs> Everybody's probably thinking, yeah, Matthew will let him away. <laughs> that ain't gonna happen. Alright, till next time, ladies and gentlemen. God bless. Godspeed. <laughs> RangeRadioNetwork.com slash donate. We don't need your money to survive. We pay for the network with our own hard-earned cash. But if you want to help us grow and reach more people, just go to FringeRadioNetwork.com slash donate. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you a free network t-shirt. RangeRadioNetwork.com slash donate. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.